Please stay standing for the word of God. Uh, so the scripture re reading today comes from Luke 6, 43 through 49, and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word. So our pastors are on vacation with their families this week, uh, Nick and Gina and the boys, Adam and Laura and their kids, and uh, so we want to be praying for them uh, that they would get rest not only physically but in the Lord and also for ourselves as we receive the word as Dexter uh, just prayed for us, so I appreciate you keeping a, keeping a spirit of prayer as we uh, go into this. You know, um, recently Karen and I joined uh, LA Fitness and uh, committed to physical fitness uh, three three days a week. And uh, what do you think? How's it? How we look it? You know, you reach a stage in life where uh, my doctor said to me about a year ago. I was complaining that I, no matter how much I worked out, I I couldn't seem to lose weight. And he said, Well, you know. It's better to be fit and fat than just to be fat. And I was like, okay. So, uh, you know, there's uh, so many different uh, aspects of training in our lives that we have to do. And uh, so training to, to maintain some sort of fitness is, uh, I think, just part of what it is to respond to God. There's taking care of our bodies, the temple, the Holy Spirit. So... Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to fitness and not looking, you know, as good as you would like to look or whatever it is, um, you know, it's just something about there's more that's going on, hopefully, inside of me than just my, my physical fitness or the lack thereof. It's often been said that the best case against Christianity is Christians. You know, you, they take a look at how we live our lives or don't live our lives and um, that's not all that impressive. Uh, no lesser person than Mahatma Gandhi, the, the great leader of uh, India, his revered leader in the fight for national independence from British rule back in the first half of the 20th century. He says as a child, a, a student in England, then a lawyer in South Africa, he was exposed to Christianity and racism. 
He admired the teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. Our passage this morning is really from Luke's kind of portion of the Sermon on the Mount. He admired the life of Jesus, and indeed he was inspired to follow his example. But after years of observing Christians, he sadly concluded, for me to believe in their Redeemer, their lives must show that they are redeemed. And so he never became a Christian. Now that might sound like a good excuse. Mr. Gandhi, I concede I'm not the spiritual person I should be that would inspire your faith. But your faith isn't in me. It's not in Christians. It's not in the church. It's that we are people who are looking, I mean, we're, we're coming to saying, you know, we need a Savior. I mean, take a look. Need a Savior. And uh, my hope today is that as you would think about your own life and what it is, how we represent the king of kings, the lover of lost people like you and me, that we would enter into a training, a training to know God and to do God's purposes. It's really part of what he invites us to do, to come follow me. Um, So that's what we want to kind of look at today. You know, even Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, you know, the, the person who trains, the athlete who trains, competes to win the wreath. Um... Uh, there's a training we enter into, and it's to gain something that's more enduring than a wreath or a trophy, like what they've just, uh, the women today uh, are competing for the World Cup. I won't do the spoiler. Ah, Stop it. No spoiler for those of you who want to go see what happens. But that's as significant as that is in our culture. There's there's something to win as a response to your training that's, that's bigger than that. Um, our first point today is a fill in the blank. Aren't you excited about that? Everybody got that? So I want to ask you, um, as you do this today, I'm going to give you the fill in the blank, and I want to encourage you to, if you don't have a pen and a piece of paper right now, um, I want you to picture you're at a supermarket. You're at church right now. This is a supermarket. When you go to the store... Would you go and just look around, hungry as you are, cupboards bare at home, go to the supermarket, and then leave empty-handed? How would you feel about that trip? Not so good, right? So I'm going to picture that with your little hand out there, that's your cart, and with a little pen, that's you reaching out into the shelves of the store and putting some stuff into your cart that you're going to take home and eat all day and all week. Okay, Because otherwise, what I'm about to say to you for the next 20, 25 minutes, you'll be fascinated by it, I hope. You'll say, man, that's some of the best stuff I've ever heard. I know, I know. (laughs) But you won't remember it tonight very well. You certainly won't be remembering it on Wednesday or Thursday. In five weeks or five months from now, you'll vaguely remember it. And I think there's a feast that we're to have this morning that God intends for you to be feasting on it for a long time. So I invite you, challenge invite, take notes. And there's a fill in the blank. The first one is this. Blank must get into the blank, and the blank must get into blank. I must get into the word, 
and the word must get into me. Part of what it is to, to train, to know and do God's word, or to do, do God's purposes, is to really know what his word says. How does God train us to know and do his purposes? I mean, think of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. And you know what the fourth one is? Training. <laughs> Training. In righteousness. And so training involves uh, like a plan and really getting into it. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How many of you uh, have ever seen the movie Cast Away? Tom Hanks working for uh, um, FedEx. His plane crashes. He ends up on a deserted island. Do you remember this? And um, so, um, and a few packages floated up. Somehow he lands on this deserted island and a few packages floated up and uh, you know he opened up a couple of them but he didn't open up one he kept it the whole time with the idea to, to, to deliver it so for Super Bowl uh, 37 FedEx ran a commercial that spoofed the movie and uh, they you know where Tom Hanks was this you know they had a guy looking like Tom Hanks um, the, the FedEx uh, employee he ends up, he's off the island now. It starts on the island in the commercial. He's off the island, and he's got this package in his hand, and he goes to a door and knocks on it with the address. And a, a lady comes to the door, and he explains that he survived five years on a deserted island. And during that whole time, he kept this package in order to deliver it to her. And she gives a simple, thank you, and is ready to just you know, shut the door and leave. He goes, wait, 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 wait. I'm curious to know what was in that package that I've been protecting for years. If I may ask, what was in that package after all? Well, she opens it up and shows him the contents, and she reports it was a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. Might that have helped him on that island? You know, just a little bit, right? Unused resources. That's us. I am Tom Hanks on that island. And the unused resources are right here especially. The word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteous living. Boy, we can't neglect. We can't leave that box unopened, no matter who it seems to be addressed to besides us. It's for us. And so the Holy Spirit, through the Word, changes us. And our passage this morning about the tree that has, you know, the good tree out of the, 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 all the good that's in it. Look at verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. How do you get good treasure in a human heart? See, God the Holy Spirit is the one who works to fill our hearts with his good treasure by means of the, whole, the word. And as he, as he works that into us, most especially, he works Christ himself, God himself, into our hearts so that out of our hearts would come 
good works, good words. He changes us. Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, good, acceptable, and perfect will. Renewed, renewing your mind. Renewing it with what? Really, it's, it's the whole idea of I must get into the word, and the word must get into me. Isaiah talks about how we're all like sheep. I was uh, on the other side of the world, you know, recently, and I, I was, uh, in April there was this camp I was at, and every day <laughs> a shepherd came by with a bunch of sheep. And I'm not a real student of sheep, but I watched this because it was right there. And I would say, at any, any given moment, about 80% of the sheep seemed to be going where he wanted them. And then about 20% of them, he was like navigating himself to, you know, get them to go the right direction and all that. And I was thinking to myself, that shepherd, what a day. You know, the little expression, you know, it's like herding cats. I don't think herding sheep is much different than cats. They're all just kind of going their own direction. And after you get the, the, the 15 or 20% that seem to really be going straggly, I'd look up there, and it, now the 80% were going some kind of crooked. Isaiah 53 says, all of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way. I want to suggest we go our own way in at least three areas. In our thoughts, in our emotions, and in our will. I like what I think. I got my way of thinking about things. All of us are like sheep who've gone astray in how we think. I have things that I care about, that I'm passionate about. I've got the loves of my life. All of us are like sheep that have gone astray in the things that we love. I want to do the things I want. I have a plan. I have dreams. All of us are like sheep who've gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way in our what we will to do. So our thoughts and our loves, our, our emotions and our will, we've gone astray. We need God's thoughts. We need God's loves. We need God's will. So much so that Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we can't just read the word. You know, there's Bible reading programs where you just read and read and read. Just, I, the goal is to get through the whole Bible in a year. That's good. That's not bad. But the idea is we need to get the word into us, deep into us. So if that's going to happen, if I'm to live the quality of life God would have for me to live I must not only get into the word, but I need to get that word into me. So what do we mean by that? What is it to have the word really just get into us? And that would be our second point, getting to know and love God's purposes. How does he do that? Well, I think we really have to uh, be trained um, to feed ourselves, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says God has given us pastors and teachers in the, ch- in the church to equip everyone else to do the works of service. 
And so they're not the, the like pastors and teachers. They aren't the chef, and you don't come here today to, to eat the meal, the meal I've prepared for you spiritually. And you just kind of kick back, and as I'm speaking, you're just you know, eating it all in, taking it in, and it's like the one meal you get this week. But no, this is an equipping. And the pastors here at this church and other good churches, their, their goal is to equip you to feed yourself and to really know how to, uh, to, to, to feed yourself. John Ortberg says, you know, the goal was not for us to get through the scriptures. But the goal was to get the scriptures through us. And how we do that is just, for example, with a sermon. Hearing a sermon is good each week. I've listened to many sermons, and I've forgotten almost everything that's in almost all of those sermons. Taking good notes this morning will be a help. But if you just take good notes and stick them in a book or a folder or something and never look at them again, no good. If I go to the grocery store today and I get a whole grocery cart full of stuff and I take it home and put it in the refrigerator and I don't open the refrigerator the rest of the week, two weeks go by, a month, how's that refrigerator going to smell? Not so good. And so opportunities to really get trained, to get the word into you. I suggest to you, what would God have us do? Not only with sermons, but with when you read the word, what you do with the word, what, what does he teach us about this stuff? So getting to know and love God's purposes, it's not only what he would have us do, but even more than that, he wants to get to know Well, he wants you and I to get to know him. How do you get to know a person? You spend time with them. You listen to their words. They listen to your words. We sometimes call that a conversation. Get to know each other through our words. Also, it's actions. Some people say one thing, do another. Starting to get to know you that way. In fact, really, all of us do that. And so, you see my actions, you hear me give my explanation for why I do it, and you're starting to get to know me, and I start to get to know you those same ways. How do you get to know the invisible, inaudible creator of the universe? How? You have a conversation with him, and he has spoken quite a bit. The word of God, says Hebrews 4, is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And it brings us before the one before whom we must give an account. He wants to hang out with us. So you want to get to know and love God. You want to get to know and love his purposes. He wants to hang out with you. And so you don't want to just get into the word. You want to get the word really into you. And it includes hearing a good sermon. It includes taking some good notes. It includes having a good plan as part of your training plan. You're going to spend some time with those notes. At least it's not the fire alarm. (laughs) Whoa, that was, 
It was uh, strange there. We have to learn how to feed ourselves and really eat well. When I was a kid, I guess I was maybe eight or nine years old, um, I got introduced to pizza somewhere around maybe five or six, and so now pizza was like the thing in my house. And my parents found a, uh, a frozen pizza that I really liked, and so every week we would probably have like three or four of these in the, in the, uh, the freezer. And, um, but I was young enough that they wouldn't turn me loose to turn on the oven myself because they fear that I would either burn myself or burn the house down or both, right? <laughs> so some of you who are younger, you know, you're, not, you're probably not turned loose and just go into the kitchen and do what you want, right? Some of you uh, folks under, uh, say, eight years old that are sitting here, how many of you are allowed to just go in the kitchen and just do whatever you want? Yeah? Aha. All right. So we all kind of know what that's like, you remember? So I had this one day, it was a Saturday, and my mom had gone out for the day, and my dad was in, uh, in his, uh, the bedroom where the phone is. Now, I want you to try to picture there was a time when phones were on a, like a string or a rope or <laughs> cable, and they sat in a particular place, and you couldn't move. Can you imagine such a strange world? Anyway, my dad was stuck in the bedroom on a series of important phone calls. And it was getting around lunchtime, and I'm, like, dying to eat. So I come in and sort of, like, interrupt him. Dad, 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 yeah, what? Can I have pizza for lunch? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go, go, go. Shoot me out of the place. Can I turn on the oven? Yeah, 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 okay. So I go into the kitchen. I turn on the oven. I knew what the temperature was. I turn on the oven. Okay, now, next step is, I, I'm pretty sure, is I think I'm supposed to unwrap the pizza and put it on a plate and put it in the oven. I'm not allowed to do that myself. Dad, 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 dad. I got a quick question. Can we put the pizza in the oven? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go, put the pizza in the oven. So I go down to the kitchen. I put the pizza in the oven, and uh, I, I put it in there, okay? And uh, so every couple of minutes, I'm looking in there. It looks like it's getting, like it's ready to eat. You know, I'm starting to drool and stuff like that. I mean, I am ready for this pizza. It's time to take the pizza out of the oven, I think. So I go on down, you know, Dad, Dad, can I take the pizza out of the oven? No, no, get out of here. I'm on an important call. Leave me alone. Oh, man. I can't go, I can't take the pizza out myself. Oh, man, it's ready. Dad wants me to leave him alone. He's on an important call. What am I going to do? I kept going down, down the, into the bedroom, you know, and my dad was you know, in this intense conversation for work or whatever. What am I going to do? Dad, Dad, no, no, no. Bobby, go sit in the other room. Oh, man. Yeah. So now smoke's coming out of the kitchen. <laughs> And finally, my dad's, he's, he's smelling what's going on. He manages to get off that call. He comes out. I said, Dad, the pizza burning. He comes in. The, I mean, the thing was, it had gone from pretty nice size to like the size of like a, you know, like a black wafer, you know. Fortunately, we had one more in the freezer, and I was able to get that one cooked. But I was at a stage in my life when I couldn't feed myself. But God calls us and calls pastors to equip folks like you to get into the oven and turn on the heat and know how to put that food in there and cook it for yourself. That is how to take the word and mine out of it for yourself the riches of spiritual blessing he would have for you.
And he wants to train you to do it. And he wants you to do it with excellence and sweetness. There's four trainings I'm going to suggest to you this morning that I would love to have you be introduced to. And part of the, the way we uh, offer um, uh, the equipping of believers in this church is we have uh, a very detailed way of walking next to you to, to train you and have you be a participant and knowing how to feed yourself and, and grow as a follower of Jesus. So here's four I want to suggest that would really be great for not only uh, having feeding yourself, getting his word into you so that you can know and love God's purposes, and more importantly than that, just know and be in the presence of God himself. Just have the sweetness of knowing what it is to be loved by the living God who meets you at the point of his word. One would be a careful, guided study. After Jesus died, they put him in a grave, and then he rose from the dead. His disciples, assuming many of them, a human being dies, they're dead, and it's over. And he was walking on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses, say, uh, 25 to 27, if you want to look at it. As he pulled alongside these disciples, he asked them what was going on. They told him, you know, we, we had hoped that this Jesus was the Savior of the world. And he begins to open the scriptures to them. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that study? Well, the same spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is with us here right now. As Jesus walked them through the scriptures and showed how the how the Savior must suffer and die for sins, and then on the third day rise from the dead. He walked them through on that. We have studies like that where we could help you, a guided study on many aspects of how the gospel was shown to us in the Old and New Testament. I would invite you to be a part of that. On a smaller scale, we have a thing that could just introduce you to some basic ideas of getting the word into your life on a daily basis. We have this thing called the 31-day experiment where you could taste and see that the Lord is good. 15 minutes a day. Guided readings. Would you like to find out what it would be like to feed every day on God's word? Maybe it's something that you haven't done. Maybe it's something you haven't done for a while. Today's a good day to start going into the refrigerator and opening up the load of good food that God has for you. How about starting today? I'll send it to you today. 31-day experiment. That's number one, careful guided study. Number two, meditation. Slow, thoughtful reflection on one verse or two. Meditation, slow, thoughtful reflection. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night, being careful to do according to everything that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How often are you supposed to think about this word, according to that verse? How often? Day and night. I don't know about you. What do you think about day and night? If I start thinking about something, thinking about something day and night, it's usually something I'm worried about. Or something I'm like preoccupied, I must get done for my own survival. 
See, I need, I need his thoughts to become my thoughts. So meditation, where you slowly and thoughtfully reflect on a verse or two. John Ortberg, again, talking about Abraham Lincoln, he says, you know, depth always comes slowly. If you want to know something deeply, it comes slowly. One reason why Abraham Lincoln achieved the depth of thought he had was that as he grew up, he had such small amounts of stuff to read. Donald, uh, David Donald notes in his biography about Lincoln that he grew up with access to very few books. The Bible, Aesop's Fables, which apparently he virtually memorized, and a few other books. Uh, Lincoln's law partner and biographer William Herndon claimed that Lincoln read less and thought more than any man in his sphere. Lincoln, such a respected person in our nation's history, a deep thinker who learned to not just get into the word, but get the word into him. But not just the word, but the one who spoke the word. See, that is what God would have happen in us. And so meditation is key. Another one is memorization. Memorizing God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? Young, young woman, young, young boy, young girl. By guarding it according to your word, I have laid up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The practice and the exhortation of memorizing is just part of the basic training of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So today I want to encourage you. We want to pull alongside of you. You know, uh, when you get into training, you want to have a coach. I played sports. I don't know how many of you played some sports. But I always had really good coaches. I had some lousy coaches, too. You know what made me really want to follow my coach? So I knew that the guy knew what he was talking about, but also that he actually cared about me. Tom Landry says, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you see what you don't want to see so that you can be who you've always known you could be. Pastors of this church and elders and other officers, we're prepared to be your earthly coach. But we have someone who's more than a coach to us. He's the coach of coaches. He's the Lord of lords. And he wants to train you. Having the word live in you richly, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Well, let's skip over to the last point. Getting changed by God to do his purposes. You know, God calls us to come to him and take steps of faith and he changes us and That's what's happening in verse 45. You know, the good gets stored into a man's heart by looking at the word. But now I really want to take a look at the rest of the passage here that was for today. You know, God assigns responsibility to us to act. And you see there in verse 46, Jesus asks a a pretty scathing question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Oh, boy. So do you think he's trying to convince us not to call him Lord, Lord anymore? (laughs) No, I think he wants us to call him Lord, Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I I tell you? Wow. See, he calls us to action. 
Everything I'm telling you today, most of you already know this. It's like I'm preaching to the choir. And yet, whether or not you're really training with God's word, the way it's being described today, you're thinking, oh man, this is terrible. I feel awful. How guilty I feel. Well, I think there's three responses potentially to verse 46. Um, the first response could be, look at that devastating question. The first response could be this. Number one, okay? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Some of you are sitting there going, ah, I'll do what you say, Lord. You just watch me. I'm going to get down to business. That's a response. Second response. Oh, man, I've never been able to do what your word says on this regard, Jesus. I'm just too bad of a person. In fact, we're going to talk about stuff like this. Man, I just won't come back to church anymore. I don't want to hear this stuff. That's a second response. Third response might be something like this. I know I should do what you say, but I know that my best efforts fail, and they're always going to fail. I hear your words commanding me, and I hear your words to save me, and my only hope is that you can change me. How does Jesus change us? How would we get changed to move us in a direction of being people who are training to know and do God's purposes? I think it's embedded in the following verses. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will tell you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 48. Verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, this can sound like response number one is urging you to be somebody who knows how to build the house on the rock yourself, trusting you. You can do it. But that is not what Jesus is getting at. That is not how he changes us. You know, when it comes to disciplines and spiritual disciplines, there's many churches where we all exhort each other to do all this stuff. And then we, um, we produce what looks like the right stuff. It's kind of like the idea of men making men righteous. Men and women making other men and women righteous by means of exhortation, challenge, accountability. It doesn't work. Tim Keller says, it's easy to mistake a morally restrained heart for a spiritually changed heart. Listen to that. Think about that. It's easy to mistake a morally restrained heart. In other words, somebody who's like working real hard to make themselves look like they're following Jesus. It's easily to mistake a morally restrained heart for a truly spiritually changed heart. How do I get a spiritually changed heart? This is why Jesus is telling about this terrible destruction that's coming. This is this great warning 
The storm and flood is coming to all. You know what that storm and flood is? God is a holy and just God, and judgment is a coming. Death and judgment. Death comes to us all. God's appointed a day for all of us to die. After that comes judgment, says Hebrews 9. And Jesus is telling us this because we can't make ourselves be the kind of people who build on the rock, not sufficiently. We can make it look like we can to each other, but God sees. He knows what's really going on. And so uh, the only hope is for us to see what this this storm that's going to come under the house and as great as the fall of it's going to be. Because Jesus is really, in that verse, showing a picture of the judgment to come. And the storm, in fact, did come. And it landed right square on Jesus. On the cross. In your place. See, Jesus went to the cross because he knows that you and I can't train to get into his word and get into his promises and to do what his word says, it is beyond our ability. It's in, in fact, it's beyond our ability to even want to do it. And great is the storm that fell upon that house and great was its fall. Jesus was nailed to the cross and they pierced his side and they stuck a crown of thorns on his head And the wrath of God was poured onto him because he wanted wanted to take our place and take the judgment that was meant for us. Why does he do that? Why is that in this passage here like this? Because he knows there's only one way to change our hearts. There's only one way to change us. And it's not going to be by memorizing the word and reading the word and studying the word. See, those are all good things to do. We should do them, but they can't change our heart. God, the Holy Spirit, applying the message of the broken Savior. He who knew no sin, who became sin for us on that cross. Why? Because he loves us. That's the love that changes us. And that's the love we're going to celebrate in what the early church called the love feast, where we see his body broken and his blood shed for us. That's what changes our hearts. And you want to have a part of your training regimen is that you think through the love of God for you and how the storm broke in on him. See, God's purpose is to save those who know they can't hear and put into practice Jesus' words. To save those who admit, I can't come to you and put your words into practice. I come to put my faith in the one who took the storm of judgment on the cross for me, whose love is so great that it changes me from the inside out because he comes in to not have me bear fake fruit, but true fruit. The true fruit of knowing him and doing his purposes with him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, such love is this that you would come 
seeking and saving lost people, that you would bring us to yourself and write your law on our hearts in the day coming when the good work that you've begun in us will be completed and we will do all the good things that you call us to do because of the one who now lives in us and acts with us, through us, to your glory, to do your purposes. Move us to spend time with you today that you would change us from the inside out. We ask this in your, your name, Jesus. Amen.